Mm. You know, it's um, uh, I had made a joke in a writer's group. We we're talking about all the things that just do so well and continue to the new things that do so well and the old things that continue to do so well. So I said, screw it. Next thing I'm going to write, you know, I was planning to write more paternist stuff, which I do plan to do, but it'll be a few years. Um, uh, screw it. I'm going to write a, an outsider, young outsider, nobody, um, farm boy type um, gets into an elite magic dragon rider military school. Um, only he's going to ride a Kraken, right? As a joke. And they're like, you know, we they, a few days later, I, I get emails. We really like that idea. <laughs> Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and I'm here today with author Dirk Ashton. He's the author of Paternus, the trilogy. Dirk, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, the first thing, I, when I looked up your bio and looked up all of your experience to try and get some questions prepared for you, you have a lot of experience. You've done a lot of things that I'm excited to ask you about. Lots, lots of interesting topics to, to talk about with you. A whole lot of, uh, it feels like I've lived about four lives at this point. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it does. <laughs> all, all your all of your bios were um, this this big long. It looked like a like a mini like a TV mini series that you've <laughs> <laughs> that no one would watch. Well, I'd, I don't know. I'd watch it. <laughs> but the the first thing that I wanted to ask you about is you have the, the coolest name is Dirk Ashton. That's such a cool name, and it's your real name. I I thought it was a pen name, but it's your real name. Uh, well, I uh. Well, if you read my bio, you know, I lived and worked in Los Angeles for almost six years. And uh, I was in the uh, Screen Actors Guild and the uh, um, AFTRA, uh, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And uh, and everybody thought that it was a stage name because, you know, a lot of actors do. They register with SAG or AFTRA with a different name. And uh, nope, that's my mother gave me that and even spelled Dirk with a Y. So it's uh, it sounds a bit like a uh, either a soap opera or a porn name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read that. I read that too. It's hilarious. But it's such a cool name, though. It's like a it's a perfect author name. So thank you. Perfect, perfect actor name, too. So it's a it's a great, uh, great name. And uh, in, in reading about your childhood, um, it sounds like you had a very busy childhood, lots of adventures you would get into, but you managed somehow to have excellent grades. So I'd be curious to see, how did you manage that? Uh, I don't know. I, well, you know, I studied because um, I kind of liked it. And I had some buddies that were pretty smart that uh, I didn't want to look too stupid. So I'd try, <laughs> try pretty hard. Um, math math was tough um it wasn't until college that i realized it wasn't so bad and i could actually do it so but uh, everything else everything else uh, was was pretty easy or not yeah. easy but but uh i was able to do okay so what was it that clicked for you in college with math that you said i can do this this isn't that hard um i applied myself i actually applied myself and and had a more of an open mind thinking well maybe i can do this if i just actually you know dive into it and um 
and I aced algebra one, then algebra two, and I thought, okay, well, now I got to do calculus. So I did, uh, got A's in calculus one and calculus two also. Now, I don't remember anything about any of it now, but, um, but math, you know, math, stuff like that, it, you know, it's funny. It's actually hilarious. Uh, one of my old teachers is like in her 90s now, and she saw my bio, and I haven't talked to her. I didn't even know she was still alive, and she sent me a letter. And she said, she sent me this thing. She sent me a letter and she sent me this, this book bag that says, that says, hmm, hmm. And yet another day has passed where I haven't used algebra once. Interesting. And she was my algebra teacher in, in, in grade school. So. <laughs> So I thought that was hilarious. And she's in her 90s. And wow. I, still, I still owe her a letter back. And, I, you know, I hadn't heard from her in 40 years. And I had no idea she was still even around. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, math is, um, it's, it's, it's important to study things, even if you aren't going to use them, because they teach you a way of thinking, right? A logical way of thinking. And I think a lot of that is missing from education this days. Everything needs to be practical for this or that or for some political purpose or whatever it might be, either side. Um, but uh, as far as logical and critical thinking, I think a lot of that stuff is missing these days. Hmm. Mathematics is is something that I think is just really, really good for the brain uh, in the future, regardless of whether you actually apply it to anything in particular. Yeah, it is. That's a good point. It's more about the journey so much than the destination sometimes. Just to, yeah. you said, just the thought process of solving those kind of problems and problem solving is uh, valuable in other yes. parts of life too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've always struggled with math and in my current profession, I had to apply it towards something. So I had to learn, you know, so I, I was, it was easier to learn as I got older when I could actually apply it to something that I was doing. So yeah, yeah. You know. And like, I, and you know, it wasn't until I was a little older that I was able to actually apply myself to it because I didn't see any, you know, I was like, when will I ever use this? Well, that's yeah. not the right attitude. <laughs> I learned yeah. only later, right? Yeah. You'll never get anything done with that kind of attitude. You'll never learn anything. That's right. Uh, so you have a, a BFA and a master's in filmmaking. Uh, what made you pursue filmmaking when you were? Uh, I always wanted to. I always loved film and wanted to get into film, wanted to make films. Um, well, not always. I mean, I originally wanted to be a herpetologist and then I wanted to make medieval armor and then I wanted to or be a gunsmith. Then I wanted to be a make medieval armor and medieval weapons. And then I decided, screw it, I'm just going to study business. And I studied business for two years uh, until finally um, I went to film school and uh, got to go to film school and uh, and pursue my passion, you know, and it was a serious passion. It was like a monkey on my back for many years. So um, I, uh, then I worked in the business in Columbus um, and producing commercials, uh, worked my way up from PA to a grip to um, lighting assistant and such, any number of other things. I did some AD work, assistant directing, um, but uh, ended up doing mostly pro uh, production management and producing um, a combination of the two mostly. 
and then moved out to Los Angeles and was there for six years. And I was writing screenplays uh, through that time and all that time and was was submitting them and trying to get things done. I had a lot of like really close, almost almost made it the kind of things. But um, it uh, mostly I made my living as an actor because I had done those little parts in in films and uh, I have a particular look and having worked behind the camera for so many years uh, I was really really good at auditioning terrible actor but uh, I booked a real high percentage of the, of, the, of the things that I got to audition for so so what's the secret to having a good audition what's what are your what are your your go-to uh, strategies uh, be calm know the lines if you can um and uh you don't always get that much time to prepare sometimes none it's a mm -hmm. cold reading where you're actually just reading from the from the from the screen from the uh, screenplay or from the the lines and um then uh the sides they call them just little pieces that whatever you use to audition and, and just be calm and be earnest um and do whatever they want they ask you know a lot of it is really pretty humiliating especially for commercials now i want you to dance around this barbecue grill grill and look like you're really happy and it's like yeah now how many commercials do we see like that every other one right yeah. but imagine those auditions with all those all those guys or women you know dancing around in their kitchens or out by the grill and you know making complete total asses of themselves but that's what you got uh, to do get those kind of things um dramatic uh auditions are a little a little more fun they, a little less kind of goofy but um you just got to show up and, and and do your best now i mean there are things that i know um don't look straight into the camera unless you're particular particularly told um if you don't know then ask you know um Never look at the camera. Otherwise, uh, keep an eye on the person who's doing the reading for you, or keep the eye line that they that they want you to. Um, stay within the frame. Know where the edges. If you don't know, ask where the edges of the frame are. Um, hmm. So you know, and they'll tell you tighter, tighter. You know, whatever. And don't you know move around too much in the frame or or go out of the frame. Um, these things are important. Um, and those I know from just, you know, sitting in on, you know, dozens and dozens of auditions have before I, I went in for professional auditions. So. Hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned your, your screenplays that you were writing. It seems like there's a lot of the I almost made it in Hollywood or in filmmaking is you get really, really close, but you don't quite get there. What is that feeling like when you get really close, but it doesn't happen? Um, well, at that point, I had been working on enough projects that I kind of knew it's really easy as an actor or as a filmmaker um, to just get down on yourself like I must suck, but it, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with them, um, what they're really looking for, um, what their real motivations are, uh, you know, um, and it's hard to tell who is serious and who is not. And that's not in the audition side, but on the, on the filmmaking side um they'll kill you with kindness right mm. um and uh don't count it a deal when they say it's a deal don't count a deal count it a deal when you sign the deal don't count 
as uh, as a deal until you've cashed the check, mm. right? Um, so it's um, yeah, you got to have a pretty thick skin in that business, no matter what what you're working, what you're working in, what what area. Of so, how how did your time writing screenplays help you with your with writing novels? How how did that transfer over, whether it's novels or short stories? Um, I had written, I had been writing narrative stuff before I got into screenwriting. I got into screenwriting when I was in college. Um, I took a class and just continued writing and learning and reading every book I could find um, and talking to other, and I had friends that were screenwriters, some who were uh, WGA in the union writing professionally, getting hired to write to write screenplays. And even they had awful times because just because you get hired to write a screenplay, by a real studio, right? A big studio um, on a major project doesn't mean they'll ever, they'll actually make that screenplay. They might go through three or four screenplays and you may never get a credit at all, but you got paid to do that, um, to do that part of it. You get another big check, big chunk if it gets greenlit and it goes into production, that's nice. And then you get residuals, which is, mm. which is nice, but um, there are multiple steps to it. Um, but um, writing the screenplays taught me to think, I mean, I'm a film guy, so I think visually anyway, I think in terms of shots and space and what I can see and what I can hear. And then from the narrative side, also what I can smell, what I can feel on the air, um, humidity, stuff like that. Things that you can't, you can only communicate with images on film, right? So I uh, I brought, for the Paternus trilogy, I particularly wanted to bring that immediacy of, of screenwriting and uh, of filmmaking and um, uh, to the, the story, which is one reason that I wrote, a big reason that I wrote it in present tense. Screenplays are always written in present tense because films always happen in present tense, even if it's a flashback, right, or a historical film. It's happening right now. It didn't happen before. It's happening right now. So you always uh, write those in present tense. And plus, I had read several books that I really, really liked that were written in present tense. Um, like, um, you know, and it's not just YA stuff like Hunger Games or Red Rising. Um, Handmaid's Tale is written in present tense. Um Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey is written in present tense. You know, it's not just these YA, you know, um, kind of stories that are written present tense, sci-fi or, or fantasy or um, end of the world kind of stuff. Um, um, so dystopian kind of kind of uh, YA literature that are written in present tense. So I have some good company, even, yeah. if, even if people hate it. That's okay. And with with anyone who has a who has a lot of knowledge in a in a field, especially entertainment, I wonder, do you sometimes wish you can go back and unlearn everything you know about movies just to enjoy a movie, or do you find yourself dissecting everything and looking at it from behind the camera? Boy, I, I that's a good question because I I actually that really did happen to me, um, where I could not enjoy films for a while because I saw every cut. I was thinking about every line. I could hear the clacking of the typewriter. You know. Um, at that, you know, when, when I, it wasn't until later, the, you know, I went through most of college, uh, at least undergrad, 
most of my all of high school and and, uh, and grade school and uh, and most all my undergrad without computers i mean we just didn't have them mm -hmm. there were some labs um where they were uh, available and they had like four you know and they and they you know big clunky ass things you typed in dos you typed in dos you know you were just using these like really really simple simple word processing where you had a one color screen and then one color for your for your text and that was it you know it was cool when we when you could finally change those colors right um but that has changed the entire landscape of of fictional writing for authors um it's so much faster um so much more streamlined now and be able to being able to zip files back and forth with editors and publishers and proofreaders and stuff like that i mean you can imagine what it was like when you had to, you had these enormously long you know giant stacks of paper and even the author would have made some marks in it and then it had to go to someone else to do the same thing and then had to come back with all those same marks in it you know and what happened if it got lost then it had to start over again right you know Oof. um plus just research you know can you imagine um uh having to do the kind of research that a lot of authors do today on you know you had some books to read about medieval life's life's lifestyle uh styles and and things like that and you'd have to go to the library or travel and talk to um people and look and see locations and you know it's i don't know if that's been better or worse for 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 literature but um things have changed a lot so anything i could unlearn about movies sorry to go back to the actual question uh, <laughs> not, not at this point i actually i'm actually have for many years now been able to just watch films and enjoy them um, I have seen thousands of movies, so it's not easy for me to be impressed anymore. Um, I found that I enjoy, um, for movies, most of the time, all I see lately is, uh, or, you know, in the past five, 10 years is the big blockbuster, you know, Marvel, DC comics, Harry Potter fantasy, um, stuff, um, uh, I used to go see every movie I could that came out, um, but they just seem, you know, even the darlings of the festivals now, I'm like, I, so there's a film just like that that I saw made in 1957, you know, Golden, you know, uh, Golden Palm Award, you know, it's, it's, so it's like, I, yeah, it's, it's really hard to be impressed, but I, I find myself really, really enjoying uh the long form narrative format that that we're getting and have been getting um from television beginning you know it kind of began with the sopranos and battlestar galactica the re the, the reboot um i mean that stuff just blew me away as to what could be done mm. and cool cool stuff that they could do and and still even today you know i i see some shows and i'm just like wow like black sales or arcane um that, that i'm just like blown away by and uh and that can surprise me so that's that's been more more of more of my thing of late but i have to i have to i have to watch myself because i'm a very addictive personality especially when it comes to to fiction um 
and I, uh, I, I, I will binge and I just can't help myself. And it just, then I don't get anything else done. So I, I have to be careful how many shows I allow myself to get into. Yeah. It's uh it's trouble. <laughs> yeah, and hearing, yeah. You talk, you know, hearing you talk about typewriters, I remember back in the, in the good old days when a mistype now is just a delete button and you go back. But back then it was a big project to, fix that one letter that was wrong it was a whole yep it's a whole yeah thing. you had your your white ribbon and or yep. white out white out yeah i had to line it up just right <laughs> yeah it was it was a lot crazy <laughs> so i uh so you did a lot of traveling as an author or i'm sorry as an actor uh mm -hmm. do you have any what, what were your favorite places to visit or favorite favorite experiences uh, uh i mean number one would have to have been spending two months in sri lanka uh, up in the mountains in the center of the country in a, in a small, in a town basically called Candy, K-A-N-D-Y. Um, I was two months up, up there and uh, it was just, it was amazing. That was um, when I had a co-star and role for the long, the book or the movie with the longest title ever, Rudyard Kipling's Jung The Jungle Book mowgli and blue <laughs> it's a kids movie live action kids movie and that was that was an absolute blast that was just fantastic um i made a lot of made a lot of good friends there and some people i knew i, I you know, we'd I'd look across the set and i'd be like i know that guy he was a photographer on this other thing you know i ended up hanging out the most with um some of the animal trainers and billy campbell um who played kind of the lead guy other than Mowgli um who played who was Rocketeer and played the Texan in uh um Bram Stoker's Dracula um the Coppola version and uh he's done done a bunch of stuff since it's been in a zillion things but he was really really a neat guy and we still keep in touch sometimes so yeah so after uh, after your time in acting and, and filmmaking and doing going up the ladder there, you moved back to the Midwest and you uh, started teaching. Mm -hmm. Well, I went back to get my PhD. Right. Um, and that was, you know, I was in my late 30s, you know, getting my PhD. And uh, that is all consuming. I'll tell you what. Um I enjoyed the hell out of it also. It almost almost killed me, you know, as far as burnout and stuff. In fact, I I decided to um slow down because I did fall semester, spring semester, then did a full summer semester, and that was my mistake. Um, because it's just so intensive. The the amount of reading is insane, the amount of writing is insane. Um, you have to be really, really organized. Um, and that's where I learned um better how to do research and take notes um, and how to read in multiple different ways to glean information super fast, you know, a skim um, kind of halfway, half speed, and then uh, a good slow deep read. Um, and then where to find, how to search, uh, particular ways to search for information, things like that. And of course, I put a lot of that to work and I enjoy that. I put, I used a lot of that in, um, in work, in writing Paternus. Hmm. How did, how did you apply that with, with your writing with Paternus? Is there a certain techniques you would use or certain? Uh -huh. things well, I can't, that's that, that would be like a whole episode, but okay. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, uh, 
learning where to look and how to look, um, what kinds of, you know, how, how to narrow down your keywords. Um, I would always, any source where I found something interesting, a lot of times I would, believe it or not, start with Wikipedia because it's the top thing that comes up. Um, but then I would, I would copy paste those notes in or handwrite what was in or, uh, type in what was interesting. I have hundreds of pages of notes for that, for that series way more than I ever needed. Um, and a whole lot of it just never made it in the book, but you know, a lot of it went into the world building in the background. Um, uh, and, uh, but then I would also, I would look at the sources that they had and if they didn't have any sources, I would search again and I would try to find at least three other sources that said the same thing. And it wasn't just copied and pasted from this source to that source. And you see a lot of that, especially with mythology. Um, you know, this is the same thing that Wikipedia said that this said that this said same wording. They just copied and pasted this stuff in there. Um, so I would look, and if I couldn't find that, then I would either make something up on my own, uh, or, or just not use it. Right. Just cut it out. Yeah. So what did, in, during your time teaching, what did you learn about yourself during that time? Um, that I actually have no problem talking in front of people. Hmm. Um, <laughs> groups of people that I don't know. Um, because you're doing it all, every day. In the beginning of every semester, it's a whole bunch of new people that most of them you just don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that gave me a lot more confidence um, in myself, uh, and just keeping that kind of schedule, um, was, was really good for me, I think. So yeah, those two things. And that's when you started writing Paternus is when you, after you, uh, you were, you spent some time teaching online and then you also were teaching in the classroom. Uh, when you started writing the book, what were, what was the reaction from people closest to you that you were, uh, in, you were writing this book and you were going to follow through with it? Well, I found uh, after I left my tenure track job to teach only online, which I still do. That's my day job. I've been doing that for 12 years now. Um, and I teach for three different schools um, <laughs> as an adjunct. It's just freelance online teaching is what I do. I also build courses and act as an SME, a subject matter expert, wow. where, um, for others that are, that are building film studies or film production courses. Um, and I build courses from scratch, so I make some money doing all those things, but, um, mostly it's just the teaching, but, um, uh, once I left and I was able to actually read fantasy books again, which I had not been able to do for 10 years, five, 10 years, you know, um, I was, I had always wanted to write one. I even tried to write one in high school. Uh, handwritten, of course. It was more superhero sci-fi, but um, it I um, and I had always had these crazy ideas floating around, and they all became paternus, kind of got mashed together. Um, uh, when I first started, most people just didn't even know I was doing it, except for my close family members. And then I started telling friends, and then they wanted to read, and then they were reading chapters as I went. But I was messing around with it, just having fun. I had no, I no intention of really submitting it or anything. Um, 
and it really wasn't until after the first book was done, which took me four years to write. Uh, I say between three and a half and four and a half, but it really took me four, probably four, four years to write. Um, and I uh, started, you know, messing around thinking about, you know, I'd had agents before and I, did I want to submit it or did I want to self-publish? And at that point, self-publishing in 2015, when I was thinking about doing this, it was still, you know, you would be blackballed from the traditional publishing world, basically, if you did that forever. Now that changed. Um, there are still some of those feelings, but a lot of that has changed very significantly and swiftly since then. Um, so um, I talked to some other friends who were um, represented, who were who were authors, and they and they read the book and they're like, "Don't bother, just self-publish it because." They'll want you to change all this stuff and we love it the way it is. And, and if this is, you know, the book that you want to write, then just get some good, here are some ideas and get some good uh, uh, proofreaders and, you know, get it out there, see what happens. So that's what I decided to do. And uh, I'm very happy, happy that I did. I have nothing really against traditional publishing, but I would have to have a pretty good deal to do one. I'm actually writing a book for a small publisher now, a, a new trilogy. That's what I'm doing now. Mm. And uh, I never thought I would do that, but it was a great deal. And, um, and it's working with people that I really, really like. So, so I'm actually on contract right now, which is, oh, wow. but, uh, but it's, I'm really happy with it. So. How is it being on contract now versus self-publishing before? Is it a big difference? Does your approach change? uh now be versus before it doesn't you know it doesn't really now it's 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 being co-written with david estes who wrote the fate mark series and now has the the king marked king mark king kingfall kingfall oh, okay. um is doing and he's just a really awesome guy and i had already known him for a few years and uh and uh bryce o'connor uh has wraith marked uh wraith mark creative and um, he, uh, uh, they came to me thinking we really would like to do this thing because I had thrown out this goofy ass idea for <laughs> something I would do just kind of as a joke, but that's what I'm doing and it's really fun. I mean, the tentative title, I don't know if you've heard what I'm working on. The tentative title is Kraken Rider Z. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, uh, I had made a joke in a writer's group we're talking about all the things that just do so well and continue to the new things that do so well and the old things that continue to do so well. So I said, screw it. Next thing I'm going to write, you know, I was planning to write more paternist stuff, which I do plan to do, but it'll be a few years. Um, uh, screw it. I'm going to write a, an outsider, young outsider, nobody, um, farm boy type, um, gets into an elite magic dragon rider military school um only he's gonna ride a kraken right as a joke and they're like you know we they, a few days later I, I get emails we really like that idea would you <laughs> would you be interested in maybe we know you probably wouldn't but then i was talking to him on on uh we had a Zoom call and it just, you know, it's, it, it's, and it's been awesome ever since. That's been a year ago. So, oh, wow. Yeah. 
what was your reaction when they told you we we want to move forward with this? What did did you? What was your reaction to that? I was. I thought it was hilarious. You know, <laughs> but I, but I started. I started thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, I could write this. I and and I'm just making it super fast, super fun. Um, you know, not a lot of blood or cursing. You know, just um, just more kind of. But it oh, but it's also a progression fantasy. I left that part out, right? <laughs> Uh, epic progression fantasy add throw that into the into the kitchen sink right um so that's in there too so all those things plus it's epic progression fantasy (laughs) so it's got your magic school it's got your dragon riders it's got your military school it's got your your outcast made good and it's got your progression fantasy and it's got your epic fantasy so um just all the things that always do well right (laughs) <laughs> magic schools and military schools and and you know fantasy military schools and dragon right. riders i mean that shit just sells all the time so why not just jam it all together so that's what i'm doing <laughs> but it's really it's really been a blast an absolute blast to write yeah that sounds like a lot of fun looking forward to reading that one thank you and uh, we did have a couple of questions from twitter while we're on the topic of okay. uh, trends. um Jake Cropper, I'm sorry, Jack Cropper, sorry, Jack, uh, said he loves the the Paternus series. The depth and scale of characters was was very impressive. Um, He would be interested to know how you came up with the inspiration for dropping these characters into a modern day world. Uh, I had always been, um, thanks for the question. Um, I always had been, loved mythology, right? And I have for a long time played with the idea of kind of a unified field theory for mythology um meaning uh i have read so many from all over and there are just like striking similarities in types of characters archetypes but also side characters it's like this character from you know hindu mythology and this character from native american mythology and this character from african mythology um are very very similar right even with origins and story arc and I was like, okay, what if a bunch of them were just, they all come from a, a basic source, one source. And um, and these are the same characters. They're just these ancient powerful beings who have traveled. Uh, and even if they themselves have not traveled um, over the history of civilization, um, stories about them have traveled, uh, right? So uh, there are multiple layers of how stories get told and changed as they go. So that was my inspiration to to bring together all these disparate characters and disparate kinds, what seem like disparate characters and mythologies and and bring them all together. So and uh, fantasy book critic has quite a few questions for us. Uh, the first one is, is, is it me here? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Me here. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Me here uh, is awesome. Uh, the first one was, uh, how did how did you make the world mythologies fit so precisely within his within your world? Um, I first had to come up with what that unified field theory was, right? Um, and that was not that easy. And I probably went back and forth taking notes and trying different ideas before I started writing for several months. Um, and I was looking at mythologies and um, originary creators, creator gods, right? Um, 
first first man kind of myths, um, which many mythologies have, um, and uh, and you know how people were created in various and sundry ways. Um, you know, some are created out of mud, some are created out of a piece of the god a god's body or a dead god's body that's been killed. Um, and in a surprising number of them, uh, some being came down or came up or came in or came through uh, and mated with an animal of some sort, right, um, to create you know, certain peoples, you know, and those, those myths are pretty widespread. Um, now, of course, I had to be careful a little bit about how that happened, right? So what I did was I decided to play with that one, only this being had no shape or form until um, it began to have feelings for something, right? And this is long before there were human beings, human morality. This being doesn't know where he came from or who he is or what he is, right? So he was able to, he, you know, just his presence and energy in the oceans basically spawned life, right? Uh, so I went with that. So then all of these other gods are his children, right? Mm -hmm. And the closer they are, if they're his direct child, um, the older and more powerful they are. And those are the firstborn, then they're second, third, and fourth. And they've all had multiple names throughout, throughout history, right? Um, and he had names throughout history from just about every religion. So, you know, he would have been the original Odin, right? He would have been, um, he, he was um, any number of other creator, creator gods, though not God himself, not creator of the universe. He knows that he isn't the creator of the universe or is pretty sure so what and who that is, is left more to the imagination. It's hinted at later on in book three, um, what that might be. Um, but um, uh, just having an uh, originary being on an originary earth um, was, was, how I, was how I did it. And those characters just basically became um, the gods of various cultures around the world around the world uh the next one was almost what what you're just speaking about is what are some of your favorite mythological stories from around the world oh boy you know that's a real tough one because i love them all of course i began with greek and norse like everybody does as a kid um and uh and uh and moved out from there to uh irish um and then uh, then got into Hindu, which was like mind blowing <laughs> compared to even the crazy stories of of uh, of Roman and Greek myth. Um, and then uh, Mesoamerican, Native American, African mythologies, the 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 Vodun, and you know, all, there are so many different ones. That's just one type of of mythology because africa is a very very diverse country um as is south america central america and even north america um it's amazing how many different 
I hate to say tribes, but how many different, you know, groups of, of Native Americans had such wildly different um, mythologies and then going up into, you know, the northern areas. Um, and it, it was just, uh, there are stories out of all of them that I love. You know, I still have an outrageous fondness for, you know, uh, some of the Norse mythologies. Um, and, uh, you know, of, of course, when I was pretty young, I read the Iliad and the Odyssey, and I just loved some of that stuff. Um, and meanwhile, I was also reading, and that's kind of what got me into fantasy reading, which I started also very, very young, um, because I those, to me, felt like modern-day mytho mythologies, right? Um, and, and I was a huge, I mean... Uh, I I hate to say it, but no, I, well, okay, I don't hate to say it, but Arthurian <laughs> stuff is just I I just love it, you know. I just love that stuff, you know, all those stories. Um, so yeah, I can't say this favorite, no. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot, lot yeah, to choose. From. There's so many that I love. Uh, here's another one. Uh, so reimagine a particular mythology story, or let's see. Um, um, I'm sorry, would you ever write a, myth a mythological-based fantasy or reimagine a particular mytho mythological story as a secondary fantasy epic? Um, maybe. <laughs> I might. Um, I'm a really slow writer is the problem, and I'm not a spring chicken. I'll be 60 this year. So I, uh, you know, I'm good for a book a year or every two years, so... I've got these three books that I'm writing. Um, the first book uh, for Wraith Markton, the Kraken Rider Z series, will be will come out the end of this year, uh, hopefully, and um, then each year after that. And then I've got some short books that I want to write. Shorter books, four to six of them, uh, more classic. Um, uh, urban fantasy detective demon hunter kind of stuff, more Jim Butcher-esque um, kinds of things or Kevin Hearn. Um, the, uh, but instead of kind of the, uh, the wizard with a franchise type, it's going to be more like, you know, a bookstore or a tea room or, you know, a detective agency. It's going to be more uh, a Ronin type wandering do-gooder but with a dark side um, in the Paternus world that takes place about 20 years before the trilogy. Um, and then I want to write another trilogy that takes place 15 to 17 years after hmm. um, the Paternus trilogy. So, I mean, you're talking about one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, you're talking 10, 12 years into the future <laughs> if I'm still writing at that time, right? So Lord knows what, what I might write. But I still want to do those things very much. Now, if something else comes up or somebody offers me a big bunch of money to do something, I, you know, I might do that. So. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. 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 It's you, you never know. Things, uh, priorities change. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next question that um, here had was, what's your favorite role and why is it Karich from Jungle Book 2? <laughs> um that was so much fun that was that was a blast and uh and partially because it was the largest role 
right? Um, that that um, was just so much fun to work on. And it was a really fun character and, uh, and came pretty naturally to me um, to do. And I really like snakes. So, you know, walking around with a with a heavy ass python was not so bad. I think weighs 65 pounds. It's like wow. 10 and a half, 10 and a half feet long. And uh, so I had to, you know, wander around with a 65 pound weight on me. You know, most people don't think about that, but that thing was heavy. Yeah. And uh, I even had to climb a tree with it at one point. Luckily, I was in fairly good shape at that time because it was in the mid 90s. Um, and, but, you know, they uh, it's funny of the small roles. Uh, the other one would have to be, you know, the truck zombie in uh, Night of the Living Dead. That's just that was such a fun. That was one day. You know, I went over earlier a day to meet with Tom Sabini. And my buddy Nick Mastandria, who's assistant director, and uh, get a fitting um, with um, Everett, uh, Everett Burrell and um, John um, Vulich, uh, who are the special young upcoming special effects guys. Um, met with them for one day to get a head cast. Uh, once I picked the zombie, because Tom was like, pick a zombie, any zombie. I've seen your short films. Nikki showed me to you. I love them all. And he, of course, he doesn't talk like that, but it feels like he does. But he does talk with a lot of energy and very quickly, uh, maybe more so then than now. Um, and uh, so we went through them. I picked one. I went over to their studio. They put all the goop on my head and I had to breathe out of straws, you know, and a little tube and uh, and get the head cast for the for the stunt and uh, and then uh, uh, then went home. Uh, well, I stayed at the hotel after I got in a car wreck uh, mm -hmm. and then went home and uh, uh, came back, I don't know, maybe a month or two later, I can't remember, maybe not even that long and just shot for, I think one day, maybe two, I might've been on set for two, I can't remember. We're talking about 1989, right? Um, and that was just a lot of fun because my a lot of my friends were there and people that I knew. And then I ended up hanging out with and becoming friends with um, a little bit. Um, I didn't see him a lot, but Everett Burrell, who's like now he's he's uh, the head of special effects and an associate producer or or a or a producer, I believe, with his own production deal um, with Netflix. He does Umbrella Academy. Hmm. So he's he's big time. I'm actually going to see him. I'm going. For the first time ever, I'm going to do one of the Night of the Living Dead conferences that's taking place this summer in Pittsburgh in June, I believe. And Everett's going to come out and show a bunch of old clips and photographs, and I'm going to dig out a bunch of old photos I have. So, so that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Oh wow, that sounds great! That sounds like yeah. a really fun trip down memory lane. There, it so should really be a blast. Yeah. And uh, his last question was, uh, I think you already answered it, but how did you come up with the title Kraken Rider Z? But I think we talked. It was about a total. It was a total joke, and that, that was I did that, and uh, uh, I, I I put that joke in there because people were talking about progression fantasy, Dragon Rider books, um, Farm Boy, epic fantasy, progression fantasy. Um, magic schools, um, military schools, all these things. So I put all this stuff together and I said, except because it's me, my main character is going to ride a Kraken and I'm going to call it Kraken Rider Z. 
and it was just a joke right you know and uh that's that's i mean it just came out of my head because i was like i'll make my main character's name z and he'll be a cracker writer so i don't know yeah it was just it wasn't one of those things that i thought about i was just being a dumbass as usual <laughs> so in addition to all these other things you have going on you're also uh you also have the uh, podcast uh host of wizards warriors and words mm-hmm what what have what has that experience been like to have that podcast? It's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work too. I mean, we were supposed to have a recording this morning, um, but it's Jed who really kind of pulled it all together. Hey, you guys want to try this? We do one or two and see how they worked out. Um, and I didn't really know him that well. Um, Jed Hearn, I know Mike Fletcher and I know um Rob Hayes. I've met them both, um, spent several spent days at a couple different cons with Rob Hayes um, in, in, in England and in Ireland. But um, uh, we just decided we'd try it, but it's difficult because you have to come up. We don't have any problem really coming up with topics because we'll talk about any goofy shit. Um, the, and we're just a bunch of goofballs anyway. Why anybody really watches us, I have no idea, but um it's it's a lot of fun. I love doing it, but it is hard to carve out that time, especially because Jed is in Australia. Oh yeah. Mike and I are on Eastern Standard Time in the US in North America. He's up in up near Toronto and I'm down in Ohio. So at least we're on the same time zone, but then Rob is in England. So it's really tough. Um to do those if it's even if it's really early in the morning for us it's really late at night for jed and if we do something that's better for jed and okay for me and rob like um even if even if even if uh jed does 6 a.m his time right and that's freaking early um it's like five o'clock for me and mike and that's fine, except for, you know, that's kind of dinner and family time. But, you know, it's usually OK. But that's 10 o'clock at night for Rob. So it just gets it just gets weird. And if it's eight o'clock in the morning for us, it's like 11 o'clock in the more at night or 10. Yeah. Eight, nine, nine o'clock at night already for Jed. And we've been doing Saturdays. So we were doing Saturdays like that. So his Saturday night, every Saturday night was blown now, for old farts like me and Mike, it's no big deal because, you know, it's not like, you know, we're going out or doing anything. But Jed's like 14. He's got yeah. things he wants to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's yeah. not that young. He might be 15 or 16, but, yeah. you know, he's got things he wants to do on a Saturday night. So it, it is really tough getting time zones figured out sometimes. It's it can yeah. get really complicated. Yeah. So but I do have- it's been a blast. I, I really love doing it. I've learned a lot doing it. Um, getting our guests in is fun. And just, you know, being able to chat with those guys is always a blast. When you find a group of people you can just shoot the shit with and just it can be about anything, it's that's special. And that's it's not always yeah. it doesn't always yeah. click like that. So it's fun to have yeah, that kind of awesome. Yeah. So before I let you go, I just have a couple more questions for you okay. to finish up with. Uh, the first one is, do you have any favorite family recipes? I don't cook. Okay. 
I like I have favorite recipes that my mother cooks. That that'll do. Yeah. She makes she makes uh, a meatloaf um that is to die for that I've never had its equal. Um and she makes that from her mother's recipe that was her mother's recipe. So um and my mom is 80 and her mother was 41 when she was born. Um, so we're talking going way back with this recipe. So um, it's not like, you know, uh, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, really close. It's, it's, it's going way back. That one is, is probably my favorite. So um, speaking of zombies, if the zombie apocalypse happened today, what would be your weapon of choice? Um, I'd have, I'd have to have two. Okay. I have to have, um, I'd have to have a good 45 caliber pistol. Um, and I'd have to have something to hit them in the head with, you know, um, like either an axe or a, or some, something I could stab. A spear would be fantastic, you know, a good old-fashioned spear that I could just poke them in the head with as long as it was good and sharp and I could get through the skull easily. Yeah. But those would be my weapons of choice. Now, of course, I'd rather have the, um, uh, use the pistol, but you can run out of ammo pretty quickly, so you gotta got to resort to something else. Yeah, got to be careful with that. Yeah. The next thing is, uh, what was your first job? Um, that's a good question because I did a lot of like really little small things, but stuff that I was hired by other people to do. Um, I would go in once a week and clean up the local veterinary clinic, um, clean out the cages. Uh, now they did that during the week, but I would do like the real scrub and, and bleach and, strip and wax the floors and get all the all the hair up and and um do that once a week i got hired to do that that was the probably the first regular job that i had i did that for maybe a year or two years i can't really remember um but i uh and i was in high school hmm. um i did babysitting when i was in high school um on a daily basis over the summer because both parents worked. So I would go and watch this kid um, every day, which was basically just reading and, you know, playing with the kid and making sure he ate. But uh, um, I think he was in second grade, something like that. And I was a sophomore. Um, and uh, I also would do odd jobs paid to do odd jobs for a friend of mine's dad who had a warehouse and we'd paint the walls or clean up the floor, move a bunch of barrels around or any number of things on occasion. So lots of life lessons to be learned from jobs like that. Those little odd jobs, you learn a lot of techniques and ways to problem solve and you have to get creative sometimes to get things done. Right. Right. And you have to, well, I also learned I can't just be a kid that doesn't want to have to work if I want money. And if you're going to work, if you're going to work, you might as well do a decent job and spend the time doing it and not hate it, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is taught, which is, you know, it's a hard lesson to learn as a kid. So, 
It definitely is, yeah. And uh, something I like to ask all of my guests is if the roles were reversed and you were in my position, was there a question that you would have asked that I did not ask? That um, asked me? Um, that's a really good question. So I would ask that question. Okay. <laughs> I would ask the question that you just asked. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to well, I would ask, you know, right now I would ask, what is that hat you're wearing? What is that hat you're wearing? This is, you know, you recognize oh, that? Is that Firefly? It is. Yeah. It is. This is a Ian Lino original design. Oh, I have yeah. a bunch of bunch of Ian's stuff. I love it. Ian is the artist, uh, childhood friend of uh, jo Josiah Bancroft, oh, wow. um, who wrote the Tower of uh, the, or the uh, Books of Babel, uh, four books, which are some of my favorite books ever. And um, then I met Ian at Dragon Con um, some years ago, and I've seen him every year there since that I've been able to go. Um, there was the one year with COVID, we didn't, couldn't go, but I went last year and uh, I get a lot of his stuff. He did the, um, the uh, title or the cover design for all the Sinlin, all the books of Babel. So hmm. yeah, super talented guy and he's got a lot of neat stuff. So oh, awesome. It's yeah. such a and I'm that. a big Firefly flan, uh, Firefly flan, Firefly fan. Say that 10 times. <laughs> so depressing the way that show ended it's really sad yeah i know yeah. i know such a bummer but at least we have serenity yeah yeah it was good which i really enjoy yeah it was fun it was it was great when the movie came out because it was everyone was waiting for it and then it was getting made and it was really it was a tr big treat for us at the time so yeah 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 i have so, a lot of firefly t-shirts actually i think the image that i have um for twitter hmm. uh is me sitting in a game of the game of thrones throne and that's actually one of the real ones used in the shoot that was at world world con and there was nobody around so i just like sat in it and asked somebody to take a picture and i was wearing a <laughs> wearing a firefly shirt <laughs> when in rome right you can't pass on everything exactly <laughs> who's not going to sit in that throne if they can exactly let's just say you did it yeah <laughs> so i know you uh i want to let you go uh, within the time but uh if people want to connect with you where's the best place to find you and uh just say hello or tell you how great your books are uh <laughs> everybody do that um uh or whatever whatever you want to tell me um i'm on twitter and instagram as undirk i'm just dirk ashton on facebook uh, but I also, that's my personal, but I follow everybody who, who, uh, requests it, um, as long as they're cool or well, as long as they're not dicks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, 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 I also have uh, Paternus Books Media page on Facebook and my website, uh, where you can contact me, uh, and see, kind of see what, what's up. I don't do much with the website. Uh, but somebody is working on that right now. They're going to set it up. They're going to get a store set up for me. So, um, 
that'll be really cool. And I'll let everybody know, but that's uh, just paternusbooks.com. Um, paternusbooks, all one word.com. So you can find, you can find me there as well. And I am on, um, I do get messages um, and uh, on uh, Goodreads as well. So. Right. And I'll put all those links in the description on YouTube or the podcast. And okay. uh, did I send those to you yet? Uh, no, I, I do have them all up though. I, I oh, have okay, them. cool. Thank you. Yeah. And um, you do have a newsletter on your website, right? Because I signed up for it. Yes, you can sign up for a newsletter. And I, I don't send it out very often. So it's usually fairly important stuff. Um, deals that I know are going on or things that are going on with me and my Kickstarter or Kickstarters. Uh, I've been in the madness of the final mailing of the, the last Kickstarter stuff for War of Gods book three and the slipcases, um, which look just like this. These are the special edition hardbacks that I did with the Kickstarter. So uh, nice. And this is the uh, this is the, the slipcase. And I'm just sending out the, the final ones of these started last week uh, on Monday. I'm still packing today. When I'm done here, I'll be back down in the basement packing. But um, there will be a real limited number. I'm almost out. Um, these are numbered um, additions, but I'll have 20 or 25 maybe, hopefully, as long as the bunch don't get lost in shipping all over the world, um, To that, that will be available on the store once I finally get that up. So, yeah, it's been busy. <laughs> it really great. Really, really Thank great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful. So thanks again. I know you're busy, so I appreciate you taking the time to come and answer a few silly questions and have a Thank good you for having me. I always enjoy it. This has been this has been great. Cool. Thanks again. And I'll have all the links down below for everyone to find you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody.